This morning, I'm going to be reading from John chapter 20, verse 1 through 9. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who loved Jesus. She said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and also went in, and he noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed for until they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we're all here, gathered here today to celebrate the life of Jesus. Please help my dad as he speaks this wonderful message, and please let it move through all of us. And in Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Thank you, Tristan. Why don't we do a card trick with everyone, yeah. all right? So here, everyone grab your four cards. Around your chair there. We're gonna do a little trick. Now listen, you gotta pay attention. If you don't pay attention, it ain't gonna work, okay? So I really need you to pay attention, okay? So what I need you to do is take those four cards, place them all face down. And then what I want you to do is you're gonna go ahead and vandalize the cards and you're gonna go ahead and cut them in half. Hear the snap. Cut them in half. And then you're gonna fold them back the other way. Okay, then cut, cut them back here. And now what I want you to do is literally rip it in half there. So you're going to have four mini cards in your right hand and four mini cards on your left hand, okay? If you got it, put it out like this. Everyone got it? Four in one hand, four in the other, right? Okay, now what you're going to do is you're going to put the right side, put it right on top of the left side, okay? So now you got eight mini cards all together, Okay? Now, here's what you're going to do. Everyone with me? See, you think they're good? Yep. Hold on. Okay, okay. I'll hold on. Is that Faye over there, Miss Faye? Okay. You got it, Faye? <laughs> Kevin, keep her in line. All right, thanks. All right, no. All right, so I need you to take the top three cards from the top of the deck. Now, here's really important. I want you to put them in the middle of the deck, not on the bottom or the top, but put it somewhere in the middle of your deck, Okay. Top three, put them in the middle. Now I want you to take that top card, don't look at it, and I want you to put it in your pocket. For all you ladies wearing dresses, just put it under your lap, okay? All right. Now, I want you to take the top two cards, and I want you to exchange it with your neighbor and tell them Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Now take those two cards from your neighbor, hold them, and I want you to take those top two cards and put it somewhere in the middle of the deck. Not the top or the bottom, just somewhere in the middle. Okay? Got it? Now I want you to take the other top, I want you to take the top two cards right now, exchange it to someone else in the room and say Happy Easter to you. Happy, Happy Easter. Easter. All right. Now grab those two cards. And I want you to put it somewhere in the middle, again, not the top or bottom, but somewhere in the middle of your deck. Okay, now listen. 
This is where it can screw up. Yeah. So hang with me, all right? Right, T? Mm -hmm. I need you to take the top card, and I need you to put it at the bottom of the deck. Now I need you to take the top card, just throw it on the floor. Just throw it on the floor. All right, now take the top card, put it on the bottom. Top card, Tristan. Are we supposed to throw it on the floor? Yeah, just throw it on the floor, yep. Top card, put it on the bottom. Top card, throw it on the floor. Top card, put it on the bottom. Everyone, top card, throw it on the floor. Top card, put it on the bottom. Top card, throw it on the floor. Top card, put it on the bottom. Top card, throw it on the floor. Now what if this card right here just so happened to match the card that was in your pocket? Whoa. Magic! Mm. Now listen, if it didn't match, that's on you. You weren't paying attention. Uh -huh. If it matched, that's on me and T. Because it's magic, buddy. Yeah, it is. Thanks, Tristan. <laughs> Some of you are like, what the heck is going on in here? <laughs> now listen, I did that today to have a little fun, but I did that on purpose. Because in a room like this, because it's Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, in a room like this, I think some of us have our doubts when it comes to the resurrection and we wonder if it was a trick. You know, like whether you're a new believer or a believer or a seeker or a skeptic, you have your doubts. Like, was the resurrection just a trick? Was Jesus just really good, slight at hand? Was he a good magician? And has he just been fooling the world for the past couple thousand years? And listen, and if that's you, I get it. It makes sense because sometimes it seems a little too far-fetched. It seems a little too disconnected from our reality. But go here with me. What if it wasn't a trick and it was truth? What if a man from Nazareth who claimed to be God actually pulled it off, actually died and rose again. That shifts things. That shakes things up for us, for all of us, whether we realize it or like it or not. Because here's what I found. If you can actually get to the point to answer the question, if Jesus truly rose from the dead, I'm telling you, it'll help you answer every other question that you'll ever wrestle with in your life. Not only that, it'll help you navigate every other circumstance that you have to struggle through and figure out when it comes to your life. And so what we're going to do today, we're going to shuffle things up and basically going to try to show you the cards of the resurrection story. Creatively, we're going to show you kind of the vulnerable spots or the weak parts of the story where skeptics would say, see, it's weak, gotcha, can't be true as a trick. And we're going to see that even in the weak parts of the story, the vulnerable parts of the story, that it actually creates even more evidence that you and I can bet on when it comes to putting our faith that the resurrection wasn't a trick, and that it was true. And so here's my goal. Our goal for today is that all of us, no matter where we're at on our journey, that this will help us all um, create a little more um, curiosity, 
that it will create some more confidence for those of you that are Jesus followers so that you can keep telling this story to other people. And that it will leave us all a little more in awe of the greatest event that has ever taken place. That has changed everything and that has affected everything, including you, whether you realize it or not. But before we dive into it, I just want to pray for us and then we'll dive in. So let's pray. Father, deep breath, we got here. Help us, no matter where we're at on our journey, to be open to what you have. Like we're here, so help us not to just tune out and help us to zone in. Let's not waste this time. Help us to be humble enough to, to lean in to this incredible event in history. And uh, God, please just, as always, get me out of the way. May your truth pop off the pages to each of us. So thankful that you do that. You're such a relational, loving God. And we pray this in the power of your son's name, Jesus. And the whole room said, amen. So hey, if you have a copy of the scriptures, please open it up to the book of John. As my boy Tristan already read for us, please take notes. You're going to want to write some things down. i got a lot of stuff to say. Uh, and uh, if you're like me, I'm very forgetful, so it's important to write it down. If you have a phone, if you don't have anything to write with, just put it in your phone. Take notes as we dive in. This is a real historical biography uh, recorded in history. This isn't just some made-up book. This is real historical documentation. And uh, this wasn't just, you know, this was written just a few uh, decades from the time of the event. So this isn't like a ton of time or thousands of years and then let's talk about it. This is very, very close to the time that it took place. And so I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, I'm ready. Are you ready? All right. John chapter 20, starting in verse 1, it says this. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And uh, I highlighted, you'll see here, the word tomb a couple times because that kind of struck me a little bit. What's up with the tomb? Like, why the tomb? Why does Jesus, a man from Nazareth, get a tomb? Because everyone else in the first century in the Roman Empire, if, if, if you were crucified, if you were put on trial to then be arrested and then crucified, you weren't given no tomb. What would happen is that servants would put a ladder up and climb up the ladder and literally pick the remains off of your body, put them in bags, and then dump it in the Lyris landfill. You don't get a tomb. And so why is it that Jesus Christ got a tomb? And that uh, kind of shows our first card of the story today that we're going to look at, and that's the king. That's the king. And what do I mean by that? It brings up the first card, the king. It's historically recorded that there was a man named Joseph of Arimathea who was uh, a, a very prominent leader and kind of a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders and what they would do to him. But he went and he requested to Pilate, who was the governor at that time, so in the Roman Empire at this time, you had the emperor Tiberius who then put Pilate in charge of that area. So in a sense, you've got two kings that are now interacting with this historical event that is documented in history. And, and so Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate and says, can we have the body? And so he's like, okay, you know, he's been, you know, so he, he sees that, okay, is Jesus actually dead? They report to him that he's actually dead. And then he goes ahead and he just gives Joseph of Arimathea the body of Jesus, which kind of shows us the cards of Pilate a little bit, because what it shows us is that he didn't really think that this guy was a criminal. 
that he didn't really do anything wrong. He was kind of like, he just wanted to make peace. It even says earlier that he wanted to wash his hands with this whole thing. And so he goes ahead and he gives Joseph of Arimathea. And so Joseph of Arimathea and a man named Nicodemus, they take the body down and they took it into an unused tomb and they prepare the body of Jewish as you would in Jewish customs with the proper linens and the proper spices. And while this is happening, the religious leaders at the time, the Pharisees, uh, they start freaking out and the chief priest, they start panicking. And they go up to Pilate and they're like, why in the world would you give the body away? And Pilate's thinking, like, why are you guys acting like, like, what do you mean? Like, who cares? He's dead. No, you don't understand. He said that he would rise from the dead. And then you got to wonder if Pilate's thinking, well, I thought you thought he was a fraud. Why are you so concerned? Like, he's actually going to rise from the dead. What's wrong with you? And he says, well, they would talk about that he would rise from the dead and his, and his followers, you know, they might go and try to steal the body and, and, then, and then spread this rumor that he actually did it. And then it's going to cause this whole other revolt that could come against the Roman Empire. And so all this stuff is starting to hit Pilate. And it made me wonder. Uh, you got to think, like, maybe in this moment, Pilate's thinking, man, like, what's up with this Jesus guy? We killed him and he's still causing a problem you got to start wondering, like, maybe he started to ask the question. Maybe the curiosity was rising to the surface. What if? What if he really was who he said he was? Like, man, like, are the gods of the universe going to come after me now? I mean, he was curious. Questions. And maybe today, if that's you, you could relate to the king. You could relate to Pilate in the sense that maybe if you're honest, you're kind of like, what if? There is some curiosity. You haven't quite figured it out. And if that's you, I know how that feels. I was there. I remember as a young person just, am I believing this just because my mommy and daddy taught me this? You know, for all you young people, teenagers in the room, like, you got to figure this out for yourself. And, and I remember thinking, there's over 4,000 different religions. Why is Jesus the only way? And then as I began to realize that, when you think about all the other religions in the world, there's only one religion that has an empty tomb. And then I started to, to, to realize that every other religion, it's all about you have to earn something to get something. Where with being a Jesus follower, it's not about what you can do, it's what's been done for you. And so I just want to encourage you, if there's that what if, if there's that curiosity, keep leaning and keep asking the questions that I believe Pilate was asking. And so then here's what happens. Pilate rolls out an unbelievable deal, kind of like the royal flush, if you will, in response to these religious leaders. So he doesn't want any more problems. And so what does he do? He calls on multiple Roman soldiers to go and guard the tomb so that no one could steal the body. Okay? So he puts them in place. So you got to imagine being these Roman soldiers. They're probably thinking, you know, we've seen it all. But now you want us to... Guard a dead man's tomb? Like, what is wrong with our leaders? You know, it's like, this doesn't make any sense. And, and so, not to mention, you want us to guard the tomb, but then they added another layer of protection. We want you to go ahead and put the Roman seal on it. Which the Roman seal, here's uh, one that was, you know, from archaeology that they, that they dug up. And, and they would put these Roman seals on things that would stamp the authority of the Roman Empire. 
from the, from the emperor himself. They would seal things. They would seal, you know, potential buildings or rooms. Now, this is a depiction. This isn't real, this next slide. But this is what they would do in other circumstances where they'd tie ropes and then they'd have a seal and then they'd seal it with wax. And what this would represent, and everyone in the Roman Empire knew this, that when a Roman seal was put on something and you messed with it, you're in trouble, meaning you're dead. And so some believe that, well, you know, uh, maybe they, people try to steal the body and they maybe paid off the guards or something. You couldn't pay off the guards. Because if this seal was tampered, if this was ever broken for any certain reason, those guards would be dead on the spot. They'd be executed that day. And so what does this show us? This shows us, friends, that real historical kings on the pages of history The ruler of the Roman Empire was ordering protection over the dead body of Jesus. So we know by the authority of the Roman emperor that no one was stealing the body or breaking in. It would be impossible. So the only other explanation is that someone broke out. Let's keep going. Then it says this. Now, going back to to verse 1, highlighted the tomb, but... Then it made me pause to highlight Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, why does this make me pause? It's really important, and so this is going to bring up the other card in the context of our card trick here, is, is we're going to pull out the queen. Mary Magdalene will represent the queen today. It says that she went to the tomb early. We don't know what her reasons were. My favorite reason for her going to the tomb early was because Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were the two dudes that were preparing the body of Jesus, and she was going to clean up their mess, you know, as many ladies in my life have always had to clean up my mess. Thanks, Mom. Appreciate you. Let's just thank all the moms out there <laughs> for always cleaning up our messes. Who knows? But she went to the tomb early. And as she went to the tomb early to discover this empty tomb to pay her respects or whatever it was, this is incredible. The very fact that Mary Magdalene is recorded in this historical record not only seeing the empty tomb, but then delivering the message to the disciples that it was empty is very unique. And here's why it's unique. Because in the first century, women didn't have a voice. Their voice didn't mean anything. It wasn't considered a valuable source. Rabbis would say it's better for the law to be burned than to be delivered to a woman. Sorry, ladies. But that's just the way it was. Your, your voice was not held in high regard. And so go with me here. Think about this. You've got four historical accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them writing the historical account of the life of Jesus, writing at different times, not all together, at different parts of the Roman Empire, and every single one of them write in Mary as the first eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus. If you're going to try to make up a trick or make up a story, you would not write in a woman to be the credible source. It would make your story flawed. And so the only explanation of why Mary Magdalene is written in here is because Mary Magdalene actually went to the tomb and saw an empty tomb. It's, 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 un, it's an unbelievable thing that they would, that, that they, they, this wasn't a trick. This was truth that they would write Mary in to the story. Which also brings up another powerful truth about the resurrection story. What this shows us is that the resurrection story is offered to all people. 
to men, to women, to Jew, to Gentile, all ethnicities, to the rich, to the poor. It's offered to all people. But maybe this morning you can relate to the queen. You can relate to the women in the first century where sometimes you feel like you're not respected, that you're looked over, that you're not worthy, that you don't belong anywhere, that you couldn't be included in the story of God. And if that's you and you have those feelings of unworth or not belonging, I want to remind you today that this story's for you. And you're a part of this story. And you're included in this story. Just keep leaning in. The story continues. It says, so she ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. What does this show us? It says that Mary ran to the disciples to tell them. And in Luke's account, it says that they thought it was just nonsense, that they had lost all hope. So what does this show us? It shows us that there was no campfire chilling out by the, by the tomb, by the empty tomb, or by the tomb of Jesus. There was no countdown from the disciples saying, okay, three, two, one, it's resurrection. No, 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 the disciples of Jesus were in hiding. They were cowards. They were, they were hiding out. They were, they were licking their wounds. They were putting their head down. They were in fear. They were thinking, oh my goodness, we got the wrong guy. We got the wrong guy. And then what's really interesting that you just can't skip over is that here you have all accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, again, written at different times, at different parts of the Roman Empire. Every single one of them wrote them in, not as heroes, but as cowards. They wrote them in, in a sense for our context today, as jokers. Now, you tell me, if you're going to make up a trick to try to fool the world for the next couple thousand years, and you have the pen in your hand, are you going to write yourself in as a joker if you're just making this up? Is that what you're going to do? Are you just going to like write yourself? I mean, I'm not, I, if, if I got the pen, I'm writing myself in as the hero. And I think most of us would do the same thing if this was just a trick. But no. Not one of them, every one of them had the opportunity to steal the show, to take the glory, but they didn't. And not to mention, they not only wrote them in as cowards and as jokers, but then they died for this. They died for this. This wasn't a religion that they died for. They died for what they saw. They died because of what they saw with their eyes, a resurrected Jesus. I mean, you think about it. Matthew, he was beheaded for it. Mark, it says that they drug him in the streets with a noose around his neck until he died. Luke, he was hung to death. And then John, they say John potentially died of old age, but we have uh, historical accounts that he, was, he also faced martyrdom multiple times. There's one story that says that he was literally, they tried to boil him alive in oil. And he miraculously survived it. So you tell me. You put yourself in their shoes. If you were just making this up, if this was just a trick, if you got to the point where someone was going to try to boil you alive, I'm pretty sure all of us would be like, okay, all right, enough's enough. Yeah, we were just fooling around. This is just a big joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they died for it. 
Yes, they wrote them in as jokers, as cowards, but they weren't jokers. They died for truth, not a lie or a trick. They died for truth. Now, what this also brings up, I was thinking about them not showing up or dropping the ball or being no-shows. This also reminded me of how sometimes that might be the reason why you don't want to follow Jesus. Because maybe you've tried this whole Jesus thing, but he didn't show up the way that you wanted him to show up for you in your life. Or maybe someone that claims to be a Jesus follower didn't show up the way that you were hoping that they were going to show up for you. Or that the church in some situation has hurt you and hasn't showed up the way that you thought that they should show up for you. And here's what I just want to tell you. If that's you, I beg you, don't allow flawed human error that has let you down keep you away from the one that will never let you down. Don't allow humans that are constantly flawed, dropping the ball, make mistakes. Don't let that put a root that you think that would keep you away from the one that will never make a mistake. And just when you think that God is going to potentially you know, let you down or that he didn't show up, just know that that's just a lie from the enemy. He may have not have shown up the way that you wanted him to, but it doesn't mean that he still has not shown up. He is there. He is sovereign. He's in control. And when the disciples had lost all hope that they thought they got the wrong guy, he showed up to show that his promises are backed. Now, this also brings up another thing I want to say for all of you Jesus followers in the room. This is a great reminder for us to not be jokers for Jesus. Instead of being jokers for Jesus, we need to be models for Jesus. Let's, let's, not, let's not be people that are, that are um, you know, showing off how much we can drop the ball. Let's not be the hypocrites. Let's not show up on Sunday one way and then live our lives a different way the rest of the week. I mean, this is really a big deal. The world is starving for truth. They don't want tricks. They don't want gimmicks. And look, I know we're not going to be perfect. We're all messed up. But if you, are, if you ask yourself, and I want you to ask yourself, you claim to be a Jesus follower, but you are continually, habitually got one foot in and one foot out, I just beg you, stop claiming the name of Jesus. Stop trying to trick everyone to think that you actually are who you are or trick yourself into believing that because God won't be mocked. It's so important. And think about the damage that you are doing, luring people away from truth because of what you're doing with your life. And listen, we all make mistakes. I mean, I have mourned over the people from my past, the things that I have done that may have pushed them away from Jesus. Have you ever mourned over that? Have you ever made the attempt to make peace, to take ownership of, yeah, I messed up, I'm taking ownership, forgive me for that. Whether they forgive you or not, have you owned up to it? It's so important that we do it. May we not be jokers for Jesus. May we be models for Jesus. And when we go and we ask for forgiveness, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And so change, shift, repent, move the different direction. May we be models. For Jesus. It continues. So it says that Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going towards the tomb. 
Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. This is always funny. Of course, John uh, didn't write himself in as the hero of the story, but he definitely wrote him in as the winner of the running match, which is just like he wanted the whole world to always know that he could run faster than Peter. And then it says, in stooping in to look, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Fun little fact here on this word folded up. In the first century, when you were eating at a table and you were done, you'd just take your napkin and throw it, and that was your signal that you were done. But if you folded your napkin and put it back on, your, uh, on the table in your place setting, that was a signal to everyone in the room and the people that were serving the room that I'm not done, I'm not finished, I'm coming back. That's just a little bonus. But uh, here's the last verse. It says, then the other disciple, I mean, come on, get here. Like they're, they, they're running to the tomb. They're out of breath. They're catching their breath. The other disciple, so John, who had reached the tomb first, reminding us again he's the fastest, also went in. And what did he say? Say it with me. He saw and believed. One more time. He saw and believed. For as they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. It was in this moment, my friends, where John looks into the tomb and he sees it empty. And he sees the linen cloths untouched. He sees them just perfectly there. And he saw in this moment, and he believed. And I just imagine his mind is just, just this, the racing through all the information. He followed Jesus for three years. He, he, <coughs> he was writing things down. He's taking mental notes. And all the puzzle pieces are just starting to flood in this moment. He, he's starting to be like, oh my goodness. And John 2, it actually talks about it, 2.19. He literally is like, in this moment, that's what he meant when he said that he would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Oh my goodness, that's what he meant. That's what he meant when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he said that he would rise again. That's what he meant when he said to Lazarus' mom that I am the resurrection and the life. This is unbelievable. And in our context today, this, is, this was like coming into his brain that he was literally acing the, te- acing the test. Jesus was acing the the literal test with perfection. Going back into his mind of all the Old Testament historical prophecies of a coming Messiah, 300 plus prophecies, all were probably starting to hit the brain of John and all the followers of Jesus. Like, this is unbelievable. He actually pulled this off. This is mathematically impossible for one person to do. I mean, when you think about, just let me name some of the prophecies that he fulfilled. (coughs) Being born of a virgin, born in the tribe of Judah, from Galilee. How do you predict your own birthplace? would work miracles, enter Jerusalem on a donkey, being betrayed by his friends, his hands would be pierced, and literally while he was hanging on the cross, being sold his clothes for 33 pieces of silver, while he's dying on a cross, this guy's pulling it off, not to mention the miracle of all miracles, predicting that he would die and rise again, and then there he is! He aced the test! (sighs) What seemed to be arisen... This seemed to be a, just a complete failure, was now a risen Savior. And it was in this moment and hundreds of other eyewitnesses that they saw a risen Savior and they believed. And not only did they believe, they died for what they believe, as I already talked about. You know what's interesting about the ace, I was researching cards, and 
The ACE was implemented in 1765 for a very specific reason, because England wanted to put a sales tax on playing cards. And so after you paid the tax, they'd stamp the ACE, and that was evidence that you paid your tax debt. And if you tried to embellish it or fake the card, that was a crime punishable by death. Think about that. And then it just got me thinking. Not only did Jesus ace the test with perfection, being the one true son of God that fulfilled every stinking prophecy, but he is the ace that pays our tax that all of us have. But it's not just any kind of tax. It's a debt so big, so broken, so messed up, so destructive, so damning, that all of us have, and none of us can heal on our own. None of us can afford to get rid of our sin tax, our sin debt that we all have. And if you pretend that you don't have it, you're foolish. We all have it. We're all a mess. I'm chief knucklehead broken. And this is important. If you don't hear anything, just zone in right here. This is why we're talking about all this. This is why it's important to understand the power of the resurrection. Listen, every single one of you are going to die. We all know this. We're all going to die someday. And every single one of us are literally going to step into eternity. And there's only two options. Paradise and pleasure with the one who created you and loves you. Or pain and punishment and separation from a God who loves you. And the reason why that there's two options is because of this thing called sin that separates us from a holy, loving God. People for years have been trying to figure out how to get rid of it on their own, and it doesn't work. You can never earn your way or be good enough to cancel it. And so that's why God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, here on this earth to die for it for you. If you've never heard this before, please just drink this in. Jesus went all in for you. Say that with me. Jesus went all in for you. I want you to say it again, and I want you to change it to me. Jesus went all in for me. Have you ever thought of that? He went all in. He bet on you. He bet on me with his life. Gave his heart, gave his life for us, for all of us. For all you kings in the room who are skeptical and curious, the engineer mind, I got to have evidence, I got to have proof. He died for you. He went all in for you, for all you queens in the world that feel like you don't belong or that you're not worthy and no one can ever take you seriously. He went all in for you, for all you jokers in the room like me who have constantly let people down and you're ashamed of it and you've dropped the ball and you've let people down over and over and over again. He went all in for you too. And he proved it. Ace the test for us. And so in response, we've got to ask ourselves the question. Because he went all in for us, now it's your play. Now it's your move. And here's the amazing thing about our God. He will never force you. He'll never force his hand on you. He'll never force you to make the deal. He only proposes. He never imposes. 
He went all in for you, and so have you ever went all in for him? Betting on Jesus to save you from your sin problem. Have you ever bet on Jesus? Have you ever went all in? And by going all in, that's with surrendering your life by a thing called faith. Don't take it from me. Take it from God's word. Here's what it says. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Say this with me. You will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Jesus went all in for you. Have you ever went all in for him? Have you ever bet your life and made Jesus your savior? If you haven't, what are you waiting for? Why would you hang your eternity in the balance? Stop carrying your sin. When you give it over to him, he frees you. He gives you victory over the addictions, over the shame, over the pain, and he frees you. He saves you from that guilt, from all that stuff. So if you haven't done that, I want to give you the opportunity right now. And so I'm going to ask all of us to just bow our heads and close our eyes. And if that's you today, you say, you know what, Travis, I've, I've never bet on Jesus to save me from my sin. I've been trying to save myself. And I don't understand everything today, but today I want to declare openly that I'm betting on Jesus to save me. I'm putting my faith and trust in Jesus. And so I'm not going to call you out, I promise. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want to pray for you. And so I want, I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to ask you to just boldly raise your hand. If you've never bet on Jesus with your life, if you've never surrendered your life to him, then let today be the day and say, Travis, that's me. Yes, I want to put my faith in Jesus today. I'm going to count to three and you just raise your hand. One, two, three. Just lift it up. I want to put my faith in Jesus. Amen, I see you. Amen, I see you. Amen, I see you in the back. You're not alone. I see you right here. Amen. Who else? It's you in the back over here. Amen. It's okay. Just be bold. Just raise your hand. You're not alone. Many people. Praise God. Now you can go ahead and put your hands down. What I'm going to do next is I'm going to lead you in a real prayer between you and God. And I'm going to ask you to openly, out loud, say this prayer. But guess what? You're not going to say it alone. You're going to say it with a Mile City Church family because we're all going to pray this prayer together. I want everyone, if you're a Jesus follower in the room, I want you to boldly and loudly say this prayer with me with these folks that are going to proclaim this for the first time. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father. I give you my life. I surrender to you. I believe you rose from the dead. Thank you for dying for me. Forgive me for my sin. Right now, I receive you, Jesus, to be the king of my life. As we continue to pray, listen. If you meant that for the first time, receive the truth that now you are saved and no one can ever 
take that from you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being our king. Thank you for the resurrection that gives us our point, that gives us our purpose, that gives us our clarity, that gives us our salvation. We love you and we praise you, Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Can we just give it up for those who have put their faith in Jesus for the first time today, the best decision of your life. I'm gonna ask us all to stand up in this moment. And as we stand, listen, if you boldly proclaim Jesus out loud today for the first time, I wanna ask you to do one more thing. I want you to be bold and I want you to tell someone. Tell someone you came with. Tell one of us, with one of our team members with our lanyards. You can text the number if that makes you feel more comfortable. The reason is, is if you didn't know, there's a party going on in heaven because of your salvation. And we wanna celebrate with you, but we also wanna help answer the questions that you might have. Our church's vision is helping people move towards God, helping imperfect, flawed, messed up, broken people keep striving to move towards God. And we'd love to continually help you on that journey.